Well, good evening, gathering. How we doing tonight? Doing all right? Okay, okay. That was not the reception I was hoping. How are we doing tonight? We doing good? We awake? We awake? All right. Well, hey, uh, how many of you guys have ever, with a friend or even your family, gone on a road trip? Who, who, who in the room? Road trippers? All right, like growing up, um, road trip was the way we traveled. We, we did not fly. It was, it was too expensive. So we would drive. I grew up in Iowa. Every Christmas, we drove to my grandparents' house in San Diego, California. We would drive three days there, spend, you know, Christmas on the golf course, and three days back. Now, as a kid, it was great. This was before seatbelts were a thing. And my parents would take out the seats in the back of our minivan, and we would just lay on the floor and roll around. I it, was, it was wild time, wild time. Inertia was not invented until the 90s. So here's the deal. When you go on a road trip, it matters who you take with you, doesn't it? Like, expect, now, okay, if you're doing a road trip to Dallas, like three hours, I mean, okay, we can put up with anybody for three hours, not a big deal. But if you're driving from Oklahoma City, let's say, to Seattle or to New York, and it's a multiple day journey, that might change a little bit of who you choose to, to invite on your road trip, would it not, right? There's some people you're like, I, I don't know if I can handle more than a couple hours with that person. Or you're like, you know what, they're a, they're a pretty chill person, I'm gonna bring them along, they're handy. If, they're, if, if we get a flat tire, they're, they're gonna be right on, the, they're gonna be there for us. Well, tonight we're gonna talk about who to date slash marry. And it's a lot like a road trip. We can't think about it from a standpoint of like, who would be fun to hang out with this weekend? Because here's, here's the deal, is when we date, we date to get married. And so therefore, we're dating for a lifetime, not just a good time. Just like a road trip. It's gonna be longer than you think. There's gonna be moments that are fantastic. There are moments you're like, man, I wish we had never come on this trip. But sometimes dating... And I can tell you from experience, both in my own life and my own marriage with, and my friend's life, marriage is rocky and it's bumpy and there's highs and there's lows and there's everything in between. And so what we need to be thinking about is the destination of where we're wanting to be and where we are wanting to go. And then we take that into consideration when we even begin to plan the trip. And so we have to talk about how does the Bible inform us on what we should be looking for in the person we date and marry, and who is that person? What do they look like? What do they act like? What does their life produce, right? And so that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. We're gonna talk about who we should date and marry. And so for those of you who weren't here last week, let me just kind of bring you up to speed really quickly on kind of the, the, um, the foundational idea of where we're talking from in, in this series called Catching Feelings. And we, we, we talked last week about the, the two greatest narratives in our culture around dating. And they become idols of sorts. The first one is this, the idolization of self-fulfillment, um, comfort, pleasure, whatever you wanna say. That, that it's actually all about you and that you have to find the person that will fulfill you. And in doing so, dating and marriage become a completely self-absorbed and self-focused endeavor. Or the other narrative that you probably will hear at Thanksgiving at some point when someone says, hey, have you met anyone yet? How come someone like you's not married yet? Right, they're, they're buying into this belief that you're not a complete person until you have found someone to marry you. 
And last week, we dismantled those two ideas that those are not biblical ideas in any way, shape, or form. But it's those two narratives, like we're in chili season, right? Like pull out the crock pot, let's make some chili. It's these two narratives that in the crock pot that just make the, the, the process of dating arduous and anxious and miserable that we're afraid of, but we're also kind of like, man, I, I still kind of want to try it. And so can we just admit tonight that, hey, that maybe we, we have bought into some narratives that are not actually a biblical narrative. That maybe God's word can instruct us in ways that this world has no idea about. And that God's ways are actually the best ways. And that all that it requires of us is to yield to his ways as we think about the person we're gonna date, the person we're praying to marry one day, and so last week we talked about singleness. Tonight we're gonna to talk about getting married. I didn't throw this on the screen last week, but here's, here's kind of the, the foundational idea of Christian dating and marriage. It's this, that the purpose of dating is to get married. And when we get married, we give ourselves to one another so that they might be all that Christ wants and calls them to be. That's not a real sexy headline on a magazine. Right, that we're gonna date for a sole purpose, and that is to, to, to get married to someone, to commit our lives to someone. And the commitment isn't, hey, I'm gonna commit to you so that you can fulfill me. It's I'm gonna commit to you so that I can give myself to you. So that God will use me to help you be all that God has created and designed you to be. And this whole idea comes from John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus tells his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? He gave himself for us. And so this idea of Christian dating and marriage is completely backwards to the way our culture would talk about it. That this is actually an endeavor where we say, hey, I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready to give my life to someone and for them to give their life to me, and then we're gonna do life together pursuing Christ. That's Christianity. That's what the, the Bible's principles would teach us from John 13, the words of Jesus himself, that our relationships should look the way Jesus has loved us. And that flies in the face of our culture. So here's the deal, I'm gonna give you five things tonight. And I'm super nervous about this message. Here's why. I'm not nervous and like, I'm not sure I'm right. Like, I'm pretty confident these are really good principles to date and get married by. Here's what I'm nervous about, is every time I give dating messages, there are those of you who are looking for a formula. And you take the things that we say, and we're like, I'm gonna do those things, and if I do A plus B, it will equal C. Here's the deal. Tonight, the, the covering over this whole message is nuance. I'm gonna talk in generalities, all right? But the person that you're looking to date or ask out or maybe marry one day, they are not a formula. They're a person. And each person in this room is different. And so there's a lot of nuance that goes to this, and that's why it's so important, and I'll get to this in a minute, but that we don't date in isolation with just our own mind and our own heart doing all the discerning. As we go through this, I'm gonna talk about who we should date in terms of kind of an evaluative process. How do we think about who we date? But here's 
my encouragement and, and, and my strong encouragement is that before you start evaluating anyone else with what I'm gonna give you tonight, I want you to turn that back on yourself and say, let's look at me first. Because it's really easy to get judgy. Real easy. That's, we live in a world that just wants to respond with judgment. And so I wanna encourage you to be evaluating yourself first to protect yourself and be careful of your own self-righteousness as we start looking at evaluating who we should be asking out, who we should be dating, and who we should be marrying. Because the reality is you will not marry a finished product. Let me say that again. You will not marry a finished product. We think that's what we're looking for. You're not looking for a finished product. None of you are finished products. I'm not a finished product. I mean, five to seven years after I got married, I was a completely different person. Ask my wife. She was a completely different person. And so what you're committing to in marriage is that I'm gonna commit to you whether you're a finished product, which they're not, or if you change along the way, I'm committing to love you. And so let's be careful that we don't get too judgy, that we're not expecting them to be something that they cannot and are not. And my last encouragement is this. As we go through this tonight, every single one of these things takes a massive amount of discernment. Now there's a huge difference between being judgmental and being discerning, okay? I don't know if you use that word, if you've heard that word discernment before, but here's the thing, is, 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 is discernment requires someone to be gracious, humble, and patient. Judgment requires the opposite. It requires a quick, prideful perspective void of grace. I just make a judgment, boom, we're done. You're dead to me. That's, that is not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about discernment. Because to, in order to understand nuance, we have to be discerning, not judgmental. Because we're dealing with people. We're dealing with brothers in Christ. We're talking about your sisters in the Lord. They're not a commodity to be, to be handled and then discarded. Jesus said, love as I have loved you. He gave himself. And so we look at dating not through the lens of judgment or evaluation the way the world does. We look at it through the lens of what is God honoring, what is wisdom discerning look like. And to be discerning, it requires you to be humble. It requires you to offer grace, which in and of itself is a hard thing to do. It's undeserved favor. And so we offer those we are around grace. And we give them a, maybe a little bit more time because we're all nervous. Everybody's nervous. Everybody's scared. I got, the, the amount of baggage that is probably in this room from previous dating relationships or the baggage of never being asked out. I always meet young adults and I'm sure like, I, I've never been asked on a date, ever. And they're nervous on the other side. So their baggage is from an insecurity of like, why does no one ever ask me out versus some people who are serial daters and they've dated a ton. They're like, man, I don't, I've, I've got baggage from those. Everybody's got some baggage. And so can we just agree as brothers and sisters in Christ that we can actively and purposefully extend grace to one another as we think about this idea of who we should marry? So for you note takers, 
I hope you brought at least one pen or two. We got a lot of stuff. Here's how we're gonna lay this out tonight. I'm gonna go through five points, and at the end of every point, I'm gonna give you at least two questions to consider regarding that point, all right? So my first point tonight comes from 2 Corinthians 6, and it's this. Someone, you should marry someone with the same allegiance. Marry, date, someone with the same allegiance that you do. Again, I'm talking from a Christian perspective. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, Paul writes this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what partnership has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now that word yoke just simply means like when, when you're plowing a field, old school, like you know, biblical days, they're plowing a field, they would put a yoke over the shoulders of ox and they would plow the field together because they're yoked and they can do more work together than they can separate. And so he, Paul's saying, hey, when you get married, when you yoke up with somebody and you're gonna plow through life together, make sure that you are equal, that your allegiance is aligned. Here's what I mean by that. The word allegiance is not something we usually use other than the Pledge of Allegiance, but here's the definition. It's loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior or of an individual to a group or cause. It is loyalty and commitment to something that we're submitted to. And so, Maybe the, the, the simplest way to say this is if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, Paul's saying date someone, marry someone who is not just committed to Christ, but submitted to Christ. Because guys, we can play church all day long. Anybody, can, we, we don't check at the door who comes in here who's actually committed and submitted to Christ. Like we're not at the airport where we can pull out like that wand and be like, all right, do you got any metal on you? Are you a real Christian? I don't know. This is where we discern. But are we e even using this as the filter? Is man, is my allegiance first and foremost to follow Jesus? To submit my life and my worldview and my opinions to the authority of God? Because here's the reality. Allegiance will determine your direction. It will determine your choices. Whatever you are committed and, and loyal to, will produce things in your life. Here's the way I think about it, if, 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 you want, if you're kind of a thinker like me, is, is allegiance will inform your values, and your values will inform your goals, and your goals and values will determine where you go in life. And so it just makes sense that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you would yoke yourself with someone who's also following Jesus, and submitted to his authority. Because if not, it is gonna be miserable. It's gonna be miserable. Like maybe for a, a little while, you're like, okay, we're gonna make this work. But eventually, if, if, if their allegiance is to themselves and yours is to Christ, here's what's gonna happen. You're slowly gonna get farther and farther apart. And so the first thing we should think about when, we're, when we talk about dating is where does their allegiance lie? Because allegiances will produce fruit in your life. And it will produce fruit in their life. 
Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna bring you through, through kind of my history of dating very quickly from a perspective of who should I date? When I was in high school and when I was in college, I had one filter, one filter to determine who I should ask out. Can you guess what that filter was, gentlemen? She the hottest girl in the room? That was it. As a 16-year-old, 20-year-old, that was the only filter, like, who's beautiful? That must be who I should ask out, right? But you know what? By the time I, I, I started changing my allegiance from my, my appetites and my desires to what God would have me, and my, my affection for the Lord grew as I got into my 20s, by the time I met my wife, my filter was completely different because our allegiance will produce our affection. And so when I met my wife, and I'm not kidding, I've told this story many times, but when I met my wife, the first thing that attracted to me, to her, was when I heard her pray. I had never thought about dating her until we were in this prayer meeting, we were doing a ministry together, and she started praying for her small group girls, and there was a moment where I'm like, Who's that? I mean, she was praying the heavens down over these middle school girls that she loved and was serving, was caring for. And it caught my heart. Now, that's not how every relationship goes. Don't say, oh, Andy did it. He said, that's how you do it. Don't. God can grab your heart in a million different ways because there's a million different types of people. Maybe you see them serving the Lord and you're like, wow, who's that? It just makes me wonder, what are we attracted to? What piques our interest? Is it their allegiance to the Lord or to something else? When your allegiance is first and foremost to God, then those with the same allegiance will find that incredibly attractive. When you see somebody, when you run into somebody that has the same allegiance you do, it's really attractive. It piques your interest like, hmm, I wonder who that is. So here's some questions to consider when it comes to allegiance. And this is for both yourself first and then them. Starts here. Who or what are you or they submitted to? What are they yielded to in their life? The way you can find this in your own life is where do you spend your time, meaning mostly your, your spare time, your money, your emotions, and your attitudes. You start looking at your life, where you spend your free time, where you spend your money, what grabs your emotions, and what attitudes affect, what affects your attitudes, you will find your allegiance. You reverse engineer all those four, those four things and you will find what your, where your allegiance lies. Second question, do you see a consistent pattern of obedience, humility, repentance, and reconciliation? This is the fruit of a walk with Jesus. The fruit of our relationship with Christ should produce an increased obedience, an increased repentance, that relationships in their lives are, are, are marked by reconciliation and humility. And do you see that as a pattern of their life? 
A third question to consider, consider, are they committed to a local church and actively serving there? This is not a commercial for, for church involvement, all right? This is not a commercial. Here's what, what it is. is It shows you where their allegiance lies. The church is the bride of Christ. We talked about that last week. Are they engaged in a church? Are they committed to the body of Christ and are they serving the body of Christ? Because what that tells you is that maybe their allegiance is not just to their own desires and appetites, that they actually take John 13 and say, I'm gonna love as Christ loved me and I'm gonna serve. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. All right, let's move on. Number two, who should we date and marry is someone with character, not just characteristics. Someone with character, not just characteristics. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In 1 Samuel 16.7, the story of Samuel finding King David the Lord says, for the Lord sees not what man sees. Man, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so when we think about who we should date and who we want to marry, are we looking at the things God is looking at? The word character simply means this, a particular combination of qualities in a person that makes them different from others. The particular combination of qualities in a person that makes them different from others. Charm is deceitful, says the Proverbs. Guys, this is, this is modern day dating. This is the advertising marketing campaign of social media. This is dating apps. We, we throw the best picture we can of ourselves with a, a little funny, whimsical quote to say, this is who I am, right? This is what our world does. We, it's an advertising campaign. But you know what advertisers never tell you? Is all the other stuff. All the character issues. And so as we, we discern who we should date, are we looking at what the Lord is looking at? Back in, 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 in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel has been told by the Lord, hey, go to, go to this household for my king, my future king of Israel resides there. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he says, Jesse, bring all of your sons. One of them is, is gonna be king. And so he invites his sons, not all of them, most of them. And he lines them up in front of the prophet Samuel and Samuel says, oh, there's the one, Eliab. He is tall, dark, handsome, strong. He looks like a king. And God said, it's not the one I've chosen. In fact, the one that God chose was not even invited to the meeting. He was so unimpressive. For whatever reason, David was not invited. But what does Jesus tell us about David is that God looks at the heart. And so it just makes me wonder, in our culture of dating, are we looking, are we considering, do we even know what is God looking for? And are we looking for the same thing? A man after God's own heart is what God said, that's my man. Not the best looking, not the tallest, not the strongest, not the most impressive. The one God was after was the one who had his heart set on the things of God. And so it just makes me wonder, are we looking for the same thing? 
Because what, what ends up happening is, is we make dating and our, and, our, and our future spouse into a Starbucks order. We customize it. We're like, all right, God, here's my list. I want a grande quad shot, skinny espresso on ice, four pumps of classic, extra ice with oat milk in a venti cup. That's what I want. God, I want him to look like this. I want him to make this much money. I want him to have this kind of family. I want this, this, this. And guys were like, hey, God, if it's your will, here's my type. And we have the list. And this just goes back to the narrative of our culture that it's actually all about you and fulfilling you. And so you think you know what you need. Here's the crazy thing, is we trust Jesus with our eternity, but we will not trust him with our dating life. That somehow he knows and loves you enough that we wanna spend eternity with him, we trust him with that. But our dating life, oh no, I gotta take control of this. I, I, gotta, I know what I need. The realization is this, is characteristics fade over time. Beauty fades, it's fleeting. You can see our world, they are fighting it with plastic surgery and Botox and I mean, they're fighting it. But the truth is, is over time, our looks will fade. I apologize to my wife every day, I'm sorry. I'm not as good looking as I used to be. But Holy Spirit-shaped character actually strengthens and develops and increases as time goes on. So why would we not invest in what is going to get better rather than making the, one of the biggest decisions of your life on something that is fleeting and will fade? It just doesn't make sense. So here's a couple questions to consider as it pertains to character over characteristics. Do you or they have a moral compass outside of themselves? Or is their moral compass just limited to their mood and their appetite? their desire, their lusts? Do they have a moral compass outside of their, um, themselves? And then that second question kind of goes on with that is what influences are shaping them? What influences are actually shaping who they are? What do they listen to? What are they reading? What's their social media feed telling them? Like this is the biggest battle I have with my kids who are teenagers. Is, is they're on you know, the YouTube stories or whatever and they're starting to get ideas. I'm like, where did you hear that? And I hear them regurgitating things. I'm like, okay, we're killing YouTube at our house because they're just getting these messages that are just so untrue because someone else wants clicks and make money off of them. But somehow that voice becomes the loudest voice in our life. What is the loudest voice in your life? that is shaping who you are? What is the loudest voice in your life that's shaping who you think you want to ask out or marry? Thirdly, who should we date and marry is someone running the same race at the same pace. Someone who is running the same race you're running at relatively the same pace. Hebrews 12, one through, one through two says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. As you run the race of faith, who else is running the same race? And who is running at the same pace that you're running? I go back to 2 Corinthians 6, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. 
They're not running the same race. But Andy, they're, they're, they're just so kind. They're not running the same race. If they are not committed and submitted to Christ, they're running a different race than you're running. So you think about this visual image. If you're gonna marry someone and you're gonna lock arms with them like we're doing life together, we're gonna plow this field of life together. But you're locked arms or you're holding hands and you're like, we're together now. You're going this way and they're going this way. Well, for a little while, you can, you can kind of pull, you're like, ah, okay. But eventually, what's gonna happen? You're gonna let go or they're gonna let go because they're running a different race. Their values and worldview are so different that it will end with heartbreak and tragedy. And so as we think about who we're gonna marry, we gotta know what kind of race we're wanting to run. Are you, on a, are you a sprinter or are you a marathoner? It matters, right? It matters. We were talking as our team today, like, like if we all went out in the parking lot right now and said, hey, we're gonna run the 50 meter dash. There's a vast majority of them, we're all gonna finish relatively in the same amount of time. Give or take five seconds, right? You add that, dis let's, let's, let's all go run a mile right now. Okay, we're gonna see some separation. Hey, let's go run a marathon. We're gonna see massive separation, right? Running a different race at a different pace. Ben Stewart wrote a great book called Single Dating Engaged and Married. I think we may have it on the back table, but it's a great book. He has this quote, he says this, we are all children of God by grace alone. And yet within the family of God, there are people at different times who are pursuing him, God, with different levels of intensity. It's that marathon mentality. If you're a seven minute miler, you probably don't wanna run the race with a 15 minute miler because you're gonna be frustrated every single step. You're like, come on, let's go. But at the same time, if you're the 15 minute miler, you don't wanna lock arms with the five minute miler because you're gonna be miserable, right? So we wanna run the same race at the same pace. And what I mean by that word, run the race, I mean pursuing and serving God at the same pace. So here's what you do. Here's how you actually evaluate this. You pursue the Lord. You serve God in whatever way you feel called to serve him, whether that's at a church or you lead a small group or you're ministering to the, the homeless, like whatever that looks like. You serve the Lord. And every once in a while, you look up from your service and be like, hey, who's running with me? Who's around me doing the same kind of stuff at the same pace? And then you'll start to see, oh, okay. Okay, it, it, maybe it's this person. We, we've been involved in the same ministry opportunity for a while. They're committed. They're here every week. We're doing the same thing. So here's what this is gonna mean, practically. What this means is there's gonna be a lot of cute, handsome, funny people that come across your life that you're like, hmm, and you need to let them walk right on by because they are running a different race at a different pace. Be patient, get busy pursuing the Lord, get busy serving God and, and, and growing his kingdom. And every once in a while, while you're serving the Lord, just pick your head up, look around, say, who's around? Who's doing the same thing? Who's running the same pace at the same, at the same race at the same pace? And that will start to narrow down who it is.
Because if we don't do this, what ends up happening is we, fear grips our heart. That, oh no, what if it's not gonna happen? And then desperation comes into play. And what we end up doing is we try and take Mr. Right now and force him to be Mr. Right. That's what desperation does. That's when, when fear grips the heart when it comes to dating and marriage. We start making compromises because we gotta make it work. God doesn't care. He doesn't see me. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand my needs and what I, and what I want. So I gotta go make Mrs. Right now Mrs. Right. And we compromise. And so here's a couple questions to consider. What race does your life say that you are running right now? If someone were to look at you and they would look at your time, your attitudes, your emotions, your finances, what race are you running? What would they see? And is that compatible with the type of person that you want to attract, that you want to lock arms with? Is it the same race? Again, we gotta start with ourselves before we start discerning other people. We need to discern ourselves. We need to ask God, God, would you show me? What is, what is the race that I'm running? Secondly, are they running at a pace that will challenge you without discouraging and destroying you? Do you get what I'm saying here? No one runs at the exact same pace. There are seasons and moments in my marriage where I've had to be strong because she was, having, she was struggling. And there were times where Taylor was doing great and I was struggling and she was pulling me along and we were encouraging. Can you be the cheerleader but also the one being cheered on? Can they challenge you and push you to pursue Christ and be all that God wants you to be without discouraging and or destroying you? And usually that comes with shame and guilt. What's the race that you're running? Look around. And then all of a sudden, you'll start seeing people, and you're like, ah, oh, interesting. They're doing the same thing I'm doing. And it seems like we're kind of doing it at the same pace. All right, maybe. Maybe, I don't know, not promising anything. Next one, number four. Who should you date and marry is someone with whom you have chemistry. And what I'm not talking about is romantic chemistry. Not talking about that. Romans 12, two, Paul writes this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's chemistry here for the believer that our minds are being renewed. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, can we just be honest, like chemistry, physically, that will probably work itself out. Can we just all agree on that? Our world tells us it will work out. God made it, all the parts fit. It's gonna be fantastic, don't worry about it. So let's talk about all the other things that you will spend most of your life doing. Ben Stewart in his book brings four categories that I thought were fantastic, so I wanna bring them to you. The first one is theological chemistry. This is your faith. Do you align on most of the important issues of your faith? church involvement, what convictions you have, what raising kids looks like. Do you wanna have kids? What does it look like? What are your passions and gifts to serve God and his church? Because one of the coolest things 
about Christian marriage is that you get to do ministry for God's kingdom together. It is awesome. Because my wife has strengths that I do not have. And I have gifts and strengths that she does not have. And together, yoked together, we are better together. And it's super fun. Like you know, if you come to our Sunday school class, my wife teaches most of the time now. And she is a phenomenal Bible teacher. And here's the cool thing. I didn't even know that when we got married. That was something that she's been developed over the years. And it's so fun to sit back and listen to her teach and to disciple young women. And so you start thinking, theologically, do we align? Like denominational alignment, like we grew up different denominations. We have conversations like, what is it? She grew up Methodist, I grew up non-denominational. So we're like, all right, let's talk. Like, what does that mean? I had no idea what Methodist was. I went to her church back, back in Ardmore and they were wearing robes. I'm like, what is happening right now? Right? So we had to talk about those things. The most important things of faith is their alignment, is their chemistry there. The second thing is not just theological chemistry, but social chemistry. Do you, and this is, this is gonna sound ridiculous, do you enjoy or like hanging out with them? Or do you just like looking at them and being able to tell people, hey, this person thinks I'm good looking, so what does that say about me, huh? Do you actually like, enjoy spending time with them? I remember, I'll never forget this conversation. I was like 23, 24 years old. I just moved to Oklahoma City, I had a roommate, and he was engaged. And this plumber, this old guy came over to our house, and you know, he was like 70 years old. And you know, he's one of those, those guys that, that just comes in, he just talks, I mean, talk, 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 talk. And we're like, oh my gosh, you just fixed the toilet, let's go, come on. And he got the story, he's like, oh, my, my roommate was engaged, he's like, he goes, this was a fantastic moment. He goes, he goes, so let me ask you a question. I know you love her. And then he literally goes, like, but do you like her? And my roommate and I were like, what is this crazy old plumber dude? He's like, no, 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 I'm serious. He's like, let me, let me point, paint the picture for you. I'm related to people that I love and I will go to their funeral and I will be sad when we do, but I do not like them and I don't want to spend Thanksgiving with them. I was like, oh, okay. And so this is that social piece, is do you like them? Do you enjoy being around them? Can you sit in the car in silence and it's okay? So do you have that social thing? Like, like when we got, first got married, like I was a big introvert and my wife was, a, or I was a big extrovert and she was a big introvert and we had to work this out. Because my social life, like I wanted to get out, I wanted to do stuff. And she's like, ah, oh, let's just stay home and read Harry Potter. You know, like, I'm like, no, let's do something. And so we had to work through that. Like, what, what does it look like to honor her in that? And what does it look like to honor me in that? We're not identical. Because oftentimes what I found is when we come up with a list of a type, you usually, people usually, come up with a list of the opposite sex version of themselves. It's true, at least from my experience. I spent 25 years watching people date in church and in Christian circles, and that's usually what I see. I want them to like the same things I like. I want them to like the same kind of food and the same kind of hobbies, and I want them to like travel the same way I like travel, and then all of a sudden, really what you're doing is like, you wanna marry yourself. And what I've realized over time is that my wife and I are way different. And our differences are really good for us. She has helped me be way more compassionate. She can cry to commercial. 
And now I think about crying at a commercial. Like her strengths that I thought were weaknesses and annoyances are actually things that God wanted to shape and grow in me. And so us spending time together, I enjoy it because I'm like, she's so different than I am. That it actually strengthens me as a believer. Thirdly, the vocational chemistry. Do do your vocational goals and passions align? What are you doing with your life? Do they align? Do they support your career goals and vice versa? What type of lifestyle do they want? What kind of job are you pursuing? What does that job require? Is that job gonna require you move every couple years? Are they okay with that? Like my wife married a pastor. And one of the scariest moments when we were dating was when we were, we were, we were over a year in and I was seriously considering engagement. But I was like, I don't know where I'm gonna be. Pastors don't stick around one place very often. So I, I mean, I was nervous. And she had never lived more than an hour away from our, her home. And I said, Taylor, I need to ask you a question. And I thought, Where's, what's the worst case scenario? <laughs> so I don't know why, so I'm like, what, what if God called me to move to Idaho? Would you be okay moving to Idaho? And she didn't answer immediately, which I appreciated. Because she wasn't just giving me what I wanted, wanted to hear. And she thought about it for me. She said, Andy, if that's where God leads us, that's where I want to be. I was like, bingo, let's go. We had to align. She's marrying a pastor. That's not an easy life. And so we had to align vocationally. And then lastly, you've probably been waiting for this one, is that physical chemistry. You need to be attracted to the person that you want to date. That is okay. It's okay to say, you know what? I kind of want to like the face that I'm going to look at and wake up next to for the rest of my life. That is okay. Because what I'm not saying is like, you just need to forget what they look like. No, like that's, God's given us that. He's given every single person an individual look and it's awesome. And so it's okay to say, hey, you know what? I actually like the way you look. And so I like to spend time with you and I like to look at you. Like that's okay. You don't need to feel bad about caring about, like, do I actually like the way they looked? Are they, am I attracted to them physically? So here's a couple questions to consider. When you think about those four things, if you're dating, you should probably be asking, like, do we align on these four things? Have we talked about these four things? And this is not an exhaustive list. This is just from Ben Stewart's book, and I thought it was really, really practical. Second thing, do you or the person you're thinking about dating or dating, do they hold any of these in a disproportionate or unreasonable way? What I mean by that is like, is one thing way, way, way out of ratio? And usually in our culture, it's looks. It's the physical attraction. That that is the ultimate thing. That's what our world celebrates. That's what we pursue. That's what we lift up as the greatest value is our physical appearance. And what I'm saying is, are we looking at what God is looking at? Are we looking at the heart? Are we allowing God's word and his ways and the principles we see in God's word to be the, the, the biggest thing? Because if there's something, if you, if, or maybe you're in the room and like, hey, vocationally, I gotta marry somebody that makes six figures. Whoa. <laughs> you might have a materialistic, materialism problem. Right? Like, like you gotta ask yourself, is, is anything out of disproportionate here? And maybe this is one you need to ask your friends about who actually love you and will be honest with you. Like, yeah, you care way too much about this. 
Because maybe, just maybe that's why God has not brought someone yet because you need to, to work through that on your, in your own heart. That you idolize physical, you idolize financial, you idolize status, you idolize a lifestyle that you have to have for the rest of your life. And if they don't provide that, then it's a no-go. Then you probably have some idols in your life that need to be slayed before God brings you one of his kids to care for and serve. Lastly, number five, who should you date and marry? Someone who is building a life, not waiting for a life. Someone who is building a life, not waiting for a life. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Another way of saying this, Paul's like, grow up. Grow up. Go build your life. Go pursue the life that God has gifted you for. Use the talents and gifts for God's kingdom. Grow up. I'll never forget early in my ministry days, I loved video games, man. And I scheduled my life around playing video games. And what I ended up realizing was like, you know what? Video games in and of themselves are probably not evil. <laughs> Some of them are, but... I realized like, that's what I did in high school and that's what I did in college and here I am 23 years old still doing the same thing. I was not building a life, I was just waiting around for someone to actually build a life with. And what ends up happening then is I'm using someone instead of mature and ready and responsible to serve and love and care for them. And so I wanna encourage you, be careful of pursuing a guy or a gal that just seems to be waiting for someone to complete them. That is bought into that lie that I'm not a complete person without you. That's where desperation comes in. That's why breakups can be so hard sometimes. Because we've convinced ourselves that my life is not complete without you. And if you leave me, my whole life is over. No, no, no. You are a whole person. God loves you just as you are. He's giving you gifts and talents. And he's like, now go, let's go. Build a life, pursue the Lord, watch him work in your life. And then as you go, look around, see who God's, God's moving into. One way of, of saying this is, is when you think about dating and marrying, well, I, I forgot, this is my second verse, Ecclesiastes 2.14. The wise can see where they are going, but the fools walk in the dark. Again, it's this idea of like, do you see where you're going? Do we have actual, actual things that we're doing or is everything that you're in your life aspirational? Well, when this happens, then I'll get my life together. When I get this job or I get this much money or I, or I meet that person, then my life will take off. What? No. So when we're thinking about dating, date someone who's actually building that life. They're handling adult responsibilities. They're holding down a, a job and they, and they can be on time and they can be responsible with God's given them. They're dealing and healing from past wounds and trauma. Guys, we cannot ignore red flags. We can't ignore them. And when we date out of desperation, we tend to make, nah, it's not red, maybe it's a beige flag. Because we're desperate. And so you as an individual, guys, this is one of the things I've seen that I love watching in our ministry over the last 10 years 
is that right now, right now is the perfect time to deal with your baggage, to deal with the hurt and the wounds of the traumas that maybe you've experienced. Like now is the time. Because you know what? You can run and heal 10 times faster by yourself than if you say, hey, welcome to my trauma and my baggage. Would you help me along the way? Oh man, you have more time, you have more energy, you you have more disposable income right now than you probably ever will as a married person. So do your future spouse a favor and get busy right now working through the addictions, the hurts, and the wounds in your life. One of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse on your wedding day is saying, I've done all the hard work. I have not wasted my time. I have prepared for this day well before I knew this day was coming. You ever gone to a house party and they weren't ready for you? It's like, man, what, did you know we were coming? <laughs> Versus the person like, man, they've been preparing for weeks and months. And they're like, they want, this is gonna be the greatest house party ever. And you walk in, you're like, wow, this is incredible. You've been thinking about us. You've been preparing for us. And so when I say someone who's building a life, the biggest part of that is dealing with the hurts and the wounds and the trauma and the addictions that that have a hold of us. That we do the hard things now so that when we go into that relationship, we can tell them, hey, This is who I am and this is a part of my past, but here's how I'm dealing with it right now. I'm actually healing from it. Instead of you dating, you're like, oh my gosh, you're what? Have you ever dealt, no, you've never dealt with that? Oh, okay, red flag. They don't wanna deal with hard things. So who are you becoming and who are they becoming? As I have lunches and coffees with with guys and, and a few gals over the years, who come to me and they say, hey, we, I wanna talk to you about this or that and about relationships. One of the, the biggest hangups that I've seen is this unquenchable thirst and desire for certainty. Like I just, I wanna know that, that this is gonna be okay. I wanna know that this is the right person. I wanna know, I wanna know, I wanna know. Good news and bad news, you will never know. You'll never know. I'm still learning things about my wife 20 years in. So here's my, my, the, the, the advice that I give um, young adults for the past 10 years. And for the most part, I think it's worked out really, really well. Is discern, be discerning about their trajectory and let go of your need for certainty. You look at the dashboard of their life and be like, what's their trajectory? Right, like all the things we've talked about tonight is the trajectory stuff. Who are their, where's their allegiance lie? That's trajectory. They're submitted and committed to Christ. Okay, all right, that's a good trajectory. Right, do they have deep character? Do they have a moral compass outside of themselves? All right, check, that's a trajectory. Will they make mistakes along the way? Absolutely. But if they're submitted and committed to Christ, they're humble, they have character, then you know that when they screw up, they're gonna apologize and they're gonna reconcile and they're gonna repent from that and they're gonna move in a different direction. So what is the trajectory of that person? It's the dashboard of the car. What's the trajectory? Before you go on a road trip, you gotta determine where are we going? And then you start. You don't start and be like, where are we gonna go? And so we have to 
start with the end in mind. Not just the weekend, but where do we wanna end? My guess is most of you, some of you probably don't wanna get married, that's fine. They're probably not here tonight, they stopped coming after last week. But most of you wanna be married. And my guess is, the end is, I wanna, I wanna have a long, lifelong, faithful, loving marriage that is, that is characterized by joy and commitment and faithfulness. So, if that's the end, how do we begin? We, we, we discern trajectory. My, and, and here's the best thing I can, I mean, I already said, I can't remember what I've said tonight is when you are in the process of discerning, widen the circle of counselors. Widen the circle. Do not date in isolation in your own head and your own heart. When we are physically attracted to someone, it feels good to be liked. You get that excitement feeling like we start to make compromises. Invite other people in who you trust, who want nothing but the best for you, and to say, hey, would you help me discern some things? Here's where I want to go. Would you watch our relationship? And, we, and I'll give you the freedom to speak into it when you see stuff that ain't right, either in me or in them. Because here's the deal, guys. Whoever you're dating, they're gonna treat you a certain way. They're gonna treat other people who are, they're not romantically interested in maybe a different way. And so as we discern their trajectory, widen the circle of counselors. Proverbs talks over and over about the wisdom of widening the circle of surround yourself with wise people and it will go well for you. My last encouragement with this point is this, don't lower the bar, strengthen your patience and increase your trust in the Lord. Don't date desperate, don't lower the bar, strengthen your patience and increase your trust in God. That he knows you and he sees you and that he's got, he will work all this out for your good. Whether you stay single, whether you get married, does not matter. We talked about that last week. So here's two questions to consider with this. What am I building my life on? What are you building your life on? Answer that question before we say, what are they building their life on? If you don't know, ask your friends. Ask those who know you best. What does it look like I'm building my life on? Reputation, money, faith, what is it? What do you see most consistently in my life that I keep going back to? That, that, that's when I'm in a bad mood, good mood, why, why is that? What causes that? Number two, what are my non-negotiables? What are my non-negotiables? There's one pastor that I, I've listened to and read a little bit. He always talks about when you go grocery shopping. Like you gotta know what you're looking for. Because I don't know about you, but when I go grocery shopping hungry, I make poor choices. A lot of carbs, a lot of sweets, a lot of sugars. It's not what I need, and it's not what's best for me, but I'm hungry. So I'm like, oh, that looks good, and that looks good. I'll take some of that, and I'll take some of that. And we can do the same thing in dating. Is because we're hungry for companionship, we're hungry for value, that we start making poor choices in dating because we're just so in need of like, I need someone else. Find that in, in the Lord first. And then you can start to ask, what are my non-negotiables? When it comes to the marathon of marriage, what are my non-negotiables? So this is where we've been tonight. Who to marry? Someone with the same allegiance, 
someone with the character, not characteristics, someone running the same race at the same pace, someone who, with whom you have chemistry, and someone who is building a life, not waiting for a life. So what do we do with this? I'm gonna give you three steps. Number one, step one, prayerfully consider who and what you are looking for. Instead of just responding to urges, to fears and insecurities, prayerfully consider, God, what, what would you have me look for in a, in a future spouse, in a date? Number two, once you start to, 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 to maybe get some answers to that, and you have some like, hey, here's some non-negotiables, here's what I'm looking for. Step two is increase your proximity to people like that or where people like that will be and congregate. Don't, like, I'm not being, don't be creepy, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying observe them, get around them. Like when I was, okay, this is, you probably don't care about this, but like when I, when I met, when I saw Taylor, my wife, um, she was a volunteer in the ministry that I was running. And so I started to create leader events just so I could hang out with her. Leaders didn't know that. It was still good for the ministry, but I was like, I gotta create environments where we're gonna be, I'm gonna be around her. I wanna get to know her. Talk with them. Listen to them. Gentlemen, here's one tip. Met with the girls a couple weeks ago, right? Don't talk at them. Listen to them. What the guys said, ladies, is ask good questions, inquisitive questions of them. Not just how was your day, what's going on, like ask good questions. That's what they said. Here's the cool thing about step one and step two, is you can do all, of, you can observe them, you can get around them, you can talk with them, you can listen to them, you can do all of those things. You can do a lot of work without ever putting a label of dating on it. And so then there's, that vulnerability's not there. You can do a lot of that without dating. But then step three, step one is prayerfully consider. Step two is increase your proximity. And then step three, prayerfully and graciously evaluate the next move. God, what would you have me do? When is the right time? And that's what we'll talk about next week, by the way. We'll talk about the how and the when. Prayerfully and graciously evaluate the next move because the truth is, is you will not marry a perfect person, so quit looking for the unicorn. You will not date the finished product. Instead, look at the trajectory they are on and prayerfully and graciously make the next move. Because the reality of it is, as I close, this season of life, you guys are young, you're fun. Dating can be an exciting thought. It can be an exciting experience. We want someone genuine, and this is, this is okay. We want someone to share life with. We want to like, we want to laugh with someone and we want to experience life with someone. We want someone to be there when we need support. We want to support someone when they need supporting. But here's the deal. You can have a lot of fun with almost anyone at Disney World. You can have fun with almost anyone on a beach vacation. So let me offer you one more filter as I close tonight. As you consider who you should date and who you want to marry. Because the greatest, I guess, exposure of their allegiance, the greatest exposure of their character, the greatest exposure of who they are and the trajectory of who they are 
is not on a beach and it's not on vacation, it's not a Disney World. It is next to the hospital bed one day. Who do you want to be locked arms with in the valleys of the shadow of death of life? Because there will be those moments where you are gonna need a rock. You don't need somebody that's the most beautiful person in the room, the most handsome person. You need somebody whose allegiance has caused them, they will be the rock that you need. When a parent is dying, when a child is sick, do you want them next to you in that moment? It starts to change how we think about dating, doesn't it? When we start thinking about life actually. If you have questions, man, I'll be down here at the, at the front. I know a lot of this requires nuance. And I know I'm throwing a lot of information out. Be glad to talk with anybody. If you have questions or clarities, whatever. But we're gonna leave the so what's on the screen. As always, we're gonna pray. I know I've gone long, but you know, I'm sorry. But let me pray for us. And we're gonna worship just a, a, few, more, a few more minutes. Our prayer teams will be down at the front at the end. Um, but let me pray. God, thank you for uh, your word that just gives us a vision, gives us principles as followers of you, the type of person we should be looking for, the type of faith that we need and that we need to trust you with, with our life. God, why is it that it's, it seems easier to trust you with our eternity than it is with our day to day? So God, would you strengthen us would you give us a new view of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you help us see them the way that you see them? As a person to be honored and cared for and served and loved, instead of a person to be consumed and used? Would you change how we think? Would you renew our minds that the way that we date would be honoring and glorifying to you in your name, and it would be good for us? In your son's name, amen.